We're back. Back from where? Well, from Nexus Earth in Aspen, Colorado, and we are infused with blockchain wonder twin superpowers. And in this episode, you'll discover some of what we're bringing back for you, including a series of interviews with some of the biggest movers and shakers in crypto, beginning with Bitcoin legend Roger Veer. We're going to crack the code on what atomic swaps are, and we're opening a private mastermind just for bad crypto fans. It's the 28th episode of the Bad Crypto Podcast, and it begins, wait for it, now. Five, four, three, two, one, zero, ignition. Who's bad? Welcome to the Bad Crypto Podcast. I am Joel Tom, author, speaker, eternal 12-year-old, and I'm here with my co-host, Travis Wright, who's also an author, a speaker, and I think he's 11. You know, I'm not sure. I think I might I might almost be 14. Oh, so you're actually my elder now. I'm a little bit older than you now, Joel. Uh, okay, I'm good with that. We've spent the whole weekend together in Aspen, and we're still together, actually, recording this episode in my house in different rooms. Yes, because uh, if we were in the same room, we're getting a little bit of overlap, so we moved into a different room. I don't know if I have a little echo or not. Hopefully not. But uh, we are going to make the most of it because this is a celebration, folks. It is, big time. We have officially passed a quarter of a million downloads of the Bad Crypto Podcast. Let the champagne flow! So, so cool. Thank you, everybody who's tuned in and listened to our show. 250,000 plus downloads in over 150 countries. And, um, you know, that's great. So to continue the party, uh, you know, we are going to keep the bad coin giveaway to continue. We're going to keep that train rolling. And how are we going to do that, Mr. Joel Com? You cannot stop the bad coin train. Well, those of you who have been listening for some time, if you haven't claimed your bad coin, your 50,000 free bad coin, or your 100,000 additional free bad coin, then we're going to make you poke around the website to figure that out. We're going to tell you more about that in the next episode. Right now, what we want you to know is that we are going to be opening up a Facebook group called The Bad Crypto Mastermind. And when I say opening up, I mean it's closed to the general public, but by going to the URL that we're going to give you right now and also going to the show notes, you can ask to be invited to the um, Bad Crypto Mastermind on Facebook. And it's going to be super cool because what are they going to find in there? Well, right now there's nothing. Yeah, you're going to find nothing, kind of like the value of bad coin. <laughs> <laughs> because it's just opening up. Actually, just Joel and I have been in there. We've not. We've said, when should we open this up? Let's maybe do it when Joel gets back from uh, his Germany uh, you know, uh, extravaganza. He is back. And we really think that there's value to the Facebook group because you know, Facebook pages, they don't get as much organic traffic or visibility. And so you don't really see when those conversations are going on. But we really want to do is to engage the community. And there's a lot of questions that sort of pop up. And there's a lot of, you know, really smart people who are in our 
group. And we know that you guys can contribute and help uh, help each other answer questions because, quite frankly, sometimes we're not available to answer all those questions that you guys might have. So you can call us and ask those questions. And then you can also post those questions to the Facebook group and you might get some good answers in there. So the whole goal is to really engage the fine folks of Bad Crypto and uh, get you guys uh, and get you guys activated. So if you'll go to badco.in forward slash mastermind, that will take you directly to the Facebook group where you can request access. And uh, we hope that everybody does that because uh, it's going to be a great place to get interaction. You know, the Facebook page, while we are the only ones that post on that page, uh, many of you leave comments, but this is a place where you'll be able to post. And we're going to try and moderate it and keep it uh, free from spam. So there's going to be some, you know, rules and regulations to make sure it doesn't turn into some of those groups where people are just trying to pump and dump things. We're not about that. You guys know that by now. Uh, we wanted to really bring value. And once you're in the group, make sure you go up to the little pull-down menu on Facebook and save it to your bookmarks so it shows up on the left side of your Facebook panel. That way you'll get notifications uh, when new posts come in. So that's what we're going to do. And I also want to tease you guys just a little bit because coming very soon to uh, the Bad Crypto universe is Bad Cryptober. <laughs> and it begins October 1st. That's all we're going to tell you about it right now. So you've yeah. been duly teased. Yes, yes, yes. I do want to say one final thing about the Facebook group, though, if we could. Um, if we you are not a Facebook member, uh, tough shit. <laughs> you can't get in the group. <laughs> I don't know what else to tell you. I mean, there's, we, we're not going to bend. We're not going to bend for you. So I'm sorry. <laughs> All right, then. Well, you, uh, there's the uh, the orders from the, uh, the top down. We did just get back from Nexus Earth in Aspen. This was really an incredible um, event put on by Nexus. They are a company that are doing some cool, innovative things. They actually do trade on the exchanges as NXS, and they brought in some serious luminaries. I mean, we're talking former presidential candidate Ron Paul. We're talking former governor of Minnesota, Jesse Ventura. We're talking former presidential candidate Dennis Kucinich. Who else was there, uh, Travis? You know, there was Ed Asner who spoke, uh, Judge Andrew Napolitano, uh, also of, of Max Kaiser and the, the Kaiser Report. Stacey Herbert and Max Kaiser were there. Uh, Peter Schiff was there. Also, Patrick Byrne of the CEO of Overstock yeah. was there. G. Edward Griffin, who wrote one of the seminal books about how the Federal Reserve Bank was created and the biggest scam of uh, of all time, uh, the creature of Jekyll Island, creature from Jekyll Island. Yeah, so there was amazing speakers there. My mind was blown pretty much the whole time. And we had the opportunity to sit down with four of these individuals, Peter Schiff, Max Kaiser, Patrick Byrne, and Roger Veer. And today you're going to get to hear our exclusive interview with the man that some people call Bitcoin Jesus. Uh, and he, I'm not sure he likes it, but uh, we're going to be releasing other interviews and we've connected with others at the event and we'll be doing fresh interviews. They're going to be super fresh in coming episodes. So stay tuned for all that. And now to this episode's question. Eric, not the Viking, but Eric writes us via our contact form. He also called us and the long and short of it, both together in one, 
kind of makes it like the medium of it, is can you please do a show about the Lightning Network and how atomic swaps work? And so, Eric, we're pleased to finally tackle this question for you because we just learned what they were ourselves. That is true. So, you know, we've had some conversations about this. And so, so basically, what an atomic swap is going to allow you to do, it allows users to trade between blockchains, right? So you can trade different currencies uh, without relying on centralized partners. So you don't have to go to an exchange. So say, for example, I have Bitcoin and I want to, you know, send and Joel wants some Ethereum Classic, you know, we can agree on a fixed trading price and then we can, cr we can actually do that transaction immediately without an intermediary, right? Right. And the Lightning Network is basically an upgrade to the code that allows the uh, blockchains to function and the Lightning Network needs to be implemented into the code base in order for atomic swaps to be made possible. Now, this has not yet occurred on the Bitcoin blockchain. There's a story we're going to link to in the show notes for you that talks about how Bitcoin is getting closer to uh, implementing the Lightning Network. But that doesn't mean that the Lightning Network hasn't been implement, implemented, big words are hard, somewhere. In fact, uh, Charlie Lee, who is the creator of Litecoin, has just posted that uh, the Lightning Network is activated on the Litecoin blockchain, and he has done the first ever atomic cross-blockchain swap between Litecoin and an altcoin called Decred. Did you see that, Travis? I did, yeah. And then he also did, well, I think he said he was going to do one with the uh, lead dev of Vertcoin. He was going to trade one Litecoin for 55 of those. That was He was going to attempt that, but then his next tweet about it was that he had, had traded with the other coin. So, Interesting, and it, apparently it worked. And then he actually, yeah. you know, I think he did one with uh, with Bitcoin as well, right? He traded, he did an atomic swap with Litecoin and Bitcoin. Well, how could he do that if it's not live on the Bitcoin blockchain yet? And really, and some of those, it doesn't necessarily make sense to me because if I have Litecoin and I want Bitcoin, then all I really have to do is just trade it on an exchange, and boom, I magically have Bitcoin. Right. Well, he's even said on-chain atomic swaps are not useful in all cases where users want to perform an exchange. This process is well suited to larger trades that don't require a particularly low latency or high frequency. Um, the uh, I think it was the Decred dev team that said this. They, they went on to say, since the process involves on-chain transactions, the speed of the process is bound by the mining of blocks, which can roughly take an hour in a worst-case scenario with Bitcoin. Um, all this is still at a very early phase, but it's obviously important to be able to swap out currencies between blockchains, and it looks like the atomic swap um, capabilities are going to make that all possible. Yes, it does. And there's another great article that just came out a couple hours ago on Cointelegraph that, that really goes into what you know exactly atomic swaps are. And so their definition is atomic swaps is a technology that allows peer-to-peer -peer exchange of two different coins. This is often called a cross-chain transaction and is made possible through the use of hash time locked contracts on a multi-sig wallet, which sounds like sounds like a different language to me. I love when you say hash time locked contracts. Well, that's good. I just said it. So you must be happy.
Yeah, so you guys, if you liked the way he said it too, just hit the replay on your podcast thing. You know how they let you go back 10 seconds and just hit it again and again. And you too can enjoy Travis saying that phrase again and again. And we love your questions. And there's a number of different ways that you guys can reach us. Of course, you can post your questions on our Facebook page at uh, facebook.com forward slash bad crypto. Even more better is to email us at bad crypto podcast at gmail.com. Go to our website, bad and click the contact form or call us on the bad crypto hotline. And what's that phone number, Trav? That number is 708-885-9030, Joel. And with that, we got news for you. Here come the newsies. All right, and our first piece of news on the Cointelegraph uh, was an article that was talking about how central banks and governments are mostly pro-blockchain, and 80% of these countries are actually considering a centralized cryptocurrency, which seems interesting to me. What do you think, Mr. Jolcom? Uh, you know, anytime I hear of the banks trying to centralize something again, it feels like it goes against the spirit of decentralization, but the fact that they are embracing blockchain um, tells me that there's some really cool benefits that could come, uh, you know, as part of that, including um, the government maybe finding solutions for uh, voter fraud, right, or, or, or data hacking or tampering. I like that. I, you know, I don't understand why we don't have voter ID in every. Uh, state in the United States. There's just absolutely no reason. You know, you need an ID to do just about everything. And it seems that the most important freedom we have is the ability to vote and, and make our voice heard. So I would love to see them use blockchain to make sure that everybody who is um, allowed to vote gets their vote and that people who don't, uh, you don't get to vote if you're not of age or if you're not a citizen or if you're dead. <laughs> That's true. Yeah. So I think what happens is a lot of times, you know, you, you live a life and then you die and then all of a sudden you become a democratic voter. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know how that happens. You might but, want to link to a story that has evidence of that. So we don't catch <laughs> too much flack about that. Uh, but it's, we it's, have it's, jokes. We have jokes. Uh, no, actually on that, on that particular article right there. So what they're doing is they're actually referencing a study from the Cambridge uh, center of uh, alternative finance and that's the University of Cambridge in the prestigious UK. And this is a 114-page uh, document, this benchmarking study about global cryptocurrency. We'll actually link that in the notes as well. So if you're one of those people who love to do deep dives and really try to understand this, this right here by uh, Dr. Garrick Hilleman and Michael Rauch, that might be an interesting thing for you to take a look at because there is all kinds of valuable information in that report right there. Oh, my goodness. So many kinds. And we've got some news from Coinbase. Coinbase.com, of course, is the most popular exchange for purchasing and trading Bitcoin, Ethereum, and Litecoin. And uh, they've had some customer service issues lately because uh, growing pains, really. I think they've grown so quickly. And I don't know if we mentioned this in the last episode or not, but they now have a customer service phone line. Isn't that right? Yeah, they announced that on Twitter as well, that they have uh, customer support now available because I know that's been one of the challenges with people who, you know, have maybe got on, on Coinbase. And the thing is, is that I got on Coinbase in like 2014 or 2015, I believe, is when I first got on. 
And so the onboarding process is not something that I'm familiar with. And, and, and we've had some calls where people have said the onboarding process might have been a little challenging or they had some difficulties and their customer support was not solid. Well, now they're solving that by, you know, having many uh, call representatives available to, you know, to, to serve any of your, to help solve any of your problems that you might have. And I think that's going to start happening for a lot of these blockchain and crypto companies is, you know, people have questions and there's not always enough staff there to answer it. So they're going to have more call centers and more, more uh, means of uh, connecting with them probably via live chat and video chat and other stuff as it, as it evolves. So Coinbase now has support, which is good. Yeah, in fact, we've got in our to-do shows, we're probably going to do a show on these various exchanges and the pros and the cons, problems people are having and so forth. But another piece of news came out from Coinbase here recently, and that is they are adding Ethereum and Litecoin vaults to their existing Bitcoin vault system. And essentially this gives an additional layer of security, especially for withdrawals, because you move whatever currency you have now, whether it's Bitcoin, Ethereum, or Litecoin, and you move it into the uh, corresponding vault on Coinbase, and once it's there, it can't be moved from there without a 48-hour withdrawal period and email approvals. So, you know, we talk a lot about not storing your Bitcoin and currency on exchanges. Coinbase is actually making it pretty secure, from what I can tell, to be able to do that. Yeah, the the only thing that that is a challenge on that is if you want to get it out and sell it immediately or trade it immediately, once it's in that vault, as Joel mentioned, there's that 48-hour window, which you know is a, is a great layer of protection. So if you have some money that's in your Coinbase account and you do not necessarily want to trade it to a wallet or you don't understand wallets yet, you at least want to put it in the vault because that's going to be the best place to secure that. Also, you're going to want to turn on two-factor you know, uh, authentication on there, the 2FA. And you're going to want to use that where they use the, the two-factor authentication apps like Authy or Google Authenticator. You don't want to um, use your text, your phone number as your 2FA because people can call into your phone company and actually try to transfer your phone number on other devices. That's been some stuff that had happened in the past. And just as a general protocol of safety, use that 2FA, Authy, or Google Authenticator to help out with that. Or if you want, go ahead and put it in, have that and put it in your vault. Don't just don't just leave it in your wallet because that's the least secure place. Put it in your uh, vault and then, you know what, especially if you're hodling, if you're holding for, you know, for long term uh, and you don't necessarily want to deal with those wallets yet, eh, go ahead and put it in the vault and they're going to stay in there. Just keep in mind that it's going to take you 48 hours plus an email verification to get it out of there. And then what it does is it will go into your wallet. And then if you wanted to trade it to another exchange or turn it back into uh, uh, you know your regular fiat currency, you can do that then. Another option is to send it to my Bitcoin address, and I promise I will keep your Bitcoin safe in my wallet. And, and uh, how can people use Coinbase? Is there we, we have a we have a little fancy ID? Yeah, right? Actually, they've got a really great program, and many of you, and I mean many, have signed up for Coinbase and received ten dollars in free Bitcoin by using our link, which is badco. 
bit.ly.in forward slash Coinbase. When you go through that link and you sign up for your Coinbase, Coinbase, where you can buy and sell corn. That's great. That's <laughs> uh, great for ethanol. All kinds of corn, you know, soups and corn on the cob. Uh, when you use that link and you make your first transaction of $100 or more, whatever, whether it's uh, Litecoin, Bitcoin, or Ethereum, they will credit you with $10 in free Bitcoin. And at the same time, they're going to say, hey, Joel and Travis, we're also going to give you $10 in free Bitcoin. So we like when you sign up and we like when you get free Bitcoin. We also like when we get free Bitcoin. And I kind of see Coinbase as the easiest way to onboard yourself into trading in crypto. It's kind of cryptocurrency with training wheels. Mm -hmm. And so you might want to take a look at that. Our last story today is around creating your own country because who doesn't want to create their own country, right? I am... Uh, you know, a bad Kryptonia. That's what we're going to create, Travis. I don't we're know. I don't know. The I, Republic of Bad Kryptonia. I kind of like Travis Stan. <laughs> well, can can Joel Stan and Travis Stan come together? I don't know. I think you might want to be Joel Arado. <laughs> the, the United States of Bad Crypto. Uh, so what are we talking about here? What's the story? So the story here is the Free Society Foundation and Roger Vera, they're planning to create a new libertarian country. And so this was interesting. In, in Roger's presentation at the Nexus Conference, he actually talked about some of the things that, uh, that they're trying to do is basically set up a lot of the stuff on the blockchain. M many, of the, many of the rules and regulations are going to be voted on by the people who are part of that country, right? Kind of they're going to create their own sovereign country and i guess they're going to buy some land uh they're or actually they're going to actually they negotiated a 220 year lease for land on the haitian island tortuga hey how about that they've already raised at least they say they've raised 100 million dollars and the goal for them is to gain sovereignty uh and they say the criteria for this location that they've chosen is proximity to existing economic powerhouses, accessibility by water located in a safe, conflict-free area, stable existing government, nations with a significant national debt, a flexible constitution that allows granting sovereignty and acceptable minimum, minimum size for the land. And they're seeking to have rule of law based on libertarian principles and the free market. So uh, this is pretty fascinating stuff. It's going to be mm -hmm. interesting to see where they go with this. And of course, Roger Veer is just, you know, a pioneer in this entire space. And uh, we've linked the story to you from theconscienceresistance.com so you can see that in the show notes. And there's also the presentation of his uh, presentation at the Nexus Conference, so you can check that out as well. Right oh, there, yep, the there it is. There's the stream on the site, so that is linked as well. And, uh, he, you know, we just met him. In fact, as of this recording, it was yesterday that we met Roger, asked him if we could sit down and have a talk with him. And this is a really important interview, and I hope you guys will listen through to the end because this is a gentleman who's been in Bitcoin from when it was below two dollars maybe even a dollar or so mm -hmm. and he yeah. really has an interesting perspective on bitcoin versus bitcoin cash which he calls bitcoin cash versus bitcoin segwit 1.0 what does that mean well let's listen From the Nexus Earth Conference in Aspen, Colorado it's the Bad Crypto Podcast Joel Com here Travis right there and sitting between us it is Bitcoin Jesus, Roger Ver. Do you, do you mind being introduced like that? 
things didn't work out so well for the original Jesus, and uh, yeah. I definitely didn't choose that name for myself. Yeah, so I, I, I prefer just, to be called Roger. Roger, <laughs> it is. I don't see Pontius Pilate anywhere. And he is so. the, the CEO <laughs> of Bitcoin.com. Look at that product placement. That's your lower third, right there. I'll just, I'll just hold it the entire time. <laughs> How you doing, man? I'm a little bit jet lagged, but pretty good. Other than that, how about yourself? Well, it, it, we might make it a little rough on you because you know the puns they fly and the witty banter. And I'll try to keep up. I'm, I'm sure you can handle it. So, when did you get into crypto? Uh, I got. So somebody else asked me that earlier today, and actually, I think the answer was probably when I was a teenager, in the '90s, reading books about futures in which people had money that wasn't issued by governments and you could anonymously send it and receive it with other people and nobody could control it. And I thought, oh, wow, the world's going to change in so many interesting ways once that exists. And then when I heard about Bitcoin for the first time, I was like, yes, the, the, the science fiction money I read about as a kid is finally here. We can finally use it. So <laughs> and what, was, what year was that for you? That was uh, February of 2011. Wow, so, so really, really early, and Bitcoin was at what? It was less than a dollar, yeah. Less than a dollar, so you bought a couple. Yeah, I bought, I bought, I bought like five? at least two, yeah. It's been a fiver. Yeah. Very nice. So you've seen a lot of, of changes in this industry since February of 2011. For those who don't know, this is September 2017, the future. Synchronize your watches. <laughs> so, you know, a lot. So, this podcast here, we're actually talking to folks and helping them understand the whole crypto space. And so, we're kind of walking them through that. And, and so, I think some people are getting a little freaked out. It goes, it goes up and then it goes down and then it goes up. I mean, what, what is some of the advice that you might give somebody who is just now starting to get into this crypto yeah, space? I just so happen to know a really good website where people can <laughs> learn all about Bitcoin. Bitcoin.com. Bitcoin. Bitcoin. This so, show not brought to you by Bitcoin.com, but we'll talk. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, yeah, I guess the easiest way is to actually start using it. Like, you can read about it and hear about it and watch all sorts of YouTube videos. See, what podcasts. did I tell you? Use it. Use it. Okay. The read best, books. Yeah, the best way is to, you know, download a wallet. And I recommend the Bitcoin.com wallet, of course. But Bitcoin's like email. We're counting how many times <laughs> on the video we need a little ding every time he mentions Bitcoin.com. So Bitcoin is like email, though. You have a million different choices between Gmail and Yahoo and Hotmail and whatnot. Uh, with Bitcoin, there's a million different wallet choices as well. Feel free to try out a couple, even if they're not Bitcoin.com wallets. Uh, they're all good. Uh, make sure you're choosing a wallet in which you're holding the private keys yourself. That's a very, very important thing. Like lots of times you hear about people losing their Bitcoins or having something be hacked. That's almost always because they weren't holding the Bitcoins themselves. They were mm. using the equivalent of a Bitcoin bank. So always hold your Bitcoins yourself. And then, uh, you know, send and receive something, buy something, you know, send some to your friends, start using it. And you'll be like, oh, this sounded so hard and complicated. But now that I've used it, it's probably even easier than email. That first honest. time. So, do you remember the first time that you sent? It, it felt like magic internet money. So <laughs> the first, the, I don't remember the first time that I sent because you have to receive before you can send some Bitcoin. Mm -hmm. And I, I received my first... I think he sent a whole Bitcoin at the time. It, um, there was a Bitcoin faucet where you would just go and post your Bitcoin address and anybody could get some Bitcoin mm. and send it to you. And I remember I pasted my Bitcoin address into this website and hit, you know, give me some free Bitcoin. And then at this time, there were no iPhone apps for Bitcoin wallets. There were no Android mm. apps. There was absolutely nothing except for the full Satoshi client on your computer. And I remember, you know, requesting the money from the website, and then boom, it showed up on my computer. And I realized, wow, the money actually went from some server on the internet to my laptop while I was sitting in bed. Mm -hmm. And there, there it was. Like this actually works. <laughs> and he wondered, uh, was sitting in bed the thing that made it work? <laughs> 
I was like, I want to click this faucet all day long every day. I remember right. the first faucet, they gave away five yeah. Bitcoin every time. Like, where the hell was I then? Yeah, well, that's what everybody's <laughs> saying. But they weren't worth much of anything at, at that so point. True. Yeah, so. who knew? So uh, in speaking to newbies, uh, those that are crypto curious, as we like to say, the volatility in the market is just, you know, buckle in and hold on. What would you tell people before they invested a single dollar to prep them? So don't invest money that you can't afford to lose. You could potentially lose all of your money from cryptocurrency. The particular cryptocurrency that you buy crashing to zero. You could also potentially lose all of it to hackers. So you have to be very careful and very, very aware. Um, but the other really good part about the volatility is that the long-term volatility is definitely up. Cryptocurrencies are really exploding in popularity. And once you've used them and you see how much easier they are than PayPal or a bank or a credit card, mm -hmm. you'll realize, wow, people are going to start using this for everything. And because the supply is limited, as more and more people start to use it, the price will go up in terms of dollars. So from my point of view, I want to be exposed to as much of that volatility over the longest period of time I possibly can. And that's worked out fantastic for me over the last seven years. And uh, I think it's going to continue to work out fantastic mm. into the future as well. Right on. So are you, do you trade it when it goes high? Do you buy the dips and sell the highs? Or you just kind of hold on? He's a hodler. Yeah, I'm definitely a hodler. Like, uh, I, I know my, my weaknesses are, are, and what where my strengths and weaknesses are, and I'm definitely not a good day trader. If mm -hmm. I started day trading, I, I probably wouldn't have any Bitcoins left at all. So I just buy and hold the whole yeah. way through. So is HODL hold on for dear life? Is that the origin of this? Because that's what he seems to think. No, I'm, I'm pretty sure the origin was just somebody was typing on the keyboard and they hit the, the D before the L when trying to write hold. Yes! That's my understanding. Suck it, Joel Com. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I didn't say it's where it started. I said that's what it means to me. <laughs> It can be both, yeah, why not both? <laughs> why not both? Why can't we have both? So, in hodling, you clearly are a believer that long-term, the value is going to increase. And so, no predictions here because, you know, none of us want to see John McAfee perform that unholy act on national TV. <laughs> but certainly, you've been around long enough and, and have done the math on this. Where do you see Bitcoin in a year, three years, five years? So when you say, where do you see Bitcoin, we need to specify, because at the moment there's actually two versions of Bitcoin. So there's Bitcoin SegWit and Bitcoin Cash. And if you look at the two of them, like we have you know, an eight-year track record of what brought Bitcoin from nothing to where it was about a year ago. And that was low fees and fast confirmations mm -hmm. and super easy to use for everybody. And your transactions were always included in the very next block. And I know this is supposed to be a lighthearted show to some extent. but No, like, bring uh, us down, man. Bum us out. Yeah, I'll bum you out a little bit. So Joel's like, already bummed out about the hold on for dear life. <laughs> one, one group of people got involved, and for whatever strange reason, they, they think that Bitcoin is better if it has high fees and slow confirmations and is inconvenient to use. And anybody, I think, with any sort of common sense or actually who's used Bitcoin would realize that you would rather have a Bitcoin that's fast and cheap and easy to use. So mm -hmm. you have Bitcoin SegWit that's slow and expensive and indeterminate when your transactions are That's the original confirmed. Bitcoin? I don't think it is, to be honest. So if, if you read the actual Satoshi white paper, it says right in the white paper that Bit the definition of Bitcoin is a chain of digital signatures. And SegWit is short for segregated witness, and they're talking about segregating the witness signatures from the rest of the transaction. Mm. So if you've separated and gotten rid of the signatures by the very definition of Bitcoin in the Bitcoin white paper, it's no longer Bitcoin. Mm. It doesn't mean that it's not something that you use as money or that it doesn't have use, but by the definition given in the original white paper that SegWit mm. Bitcoin transactions okay. are not Bitcoin transactions. So we're learning still. So the first, the one that you've mentioned here is actually Bitcoin Cash. So Bitcoin Cash is the other one that split off of the other version of Bitcoin back on August 1st. Okay. And that one still has all the characteristics that led to Bitcoin's original success. 
the fees are about a penny per transaction. They're always included in the very next block. Um, and more and more wallets, including the Bitcoin.com wallet, of course, already supports it. Uh, more and more businesses are mm. integrating it. And like all of our new infrastructure that we're building on Bitcoin.com, we're building on Bitcoin Cash. We're not building on okay, Bitcoin. Okay, so you are a Bitcoin Cash proponent, and you mm. believe that that's going places. I'm, I definitely am. Although uh, I'm not a Bitcoin maximalist either. So there's a thousand and one different cryptocurrencies out there. You know, you have your nice Litecoin shirt on. There's Dash. There's Monero, Zcash, Zcoin. There's you know a thousand. There's and one bad down the coin list. too. I don't own any bad coin yet, but I'll have to place we'll, an order for no, that. No, we'll so. give some to you. It's um, the official currency token of the Bad Crypto Podcast. I'm looking forward to so it. So we're going to make you an instant bad coin millionaire, and you'll be like, this is worthless. I'll be like, don't hodl. Sell, sell. I had a question. So yesterday, um, you know, Charlie Lee of Litecoin, he mentioned that Bitcoin and Litecoin did the first atomic swap, right, from one to one. Because he goes, that's the power of set, you know, of SegWit. So what are your what are your thoughts on that and you know atomic swaps that's can you explain that to our audience because I don't think that we're smart enough to explain that yet. So you're moving moving one asset from one blockchain to another blockchain, but uh, that's not the power of SegWit. You can do that without SegWit. SegWit's not required in any way to do that. So you just need any fa- fix or transaction malleability, and SegWit does it in a very messy, uh, dirty way that's not needed. And think about it: like Bitcoin didn't have SegWit and didn't have you know cross-chain atomic swaps for the entire you know history of Bitcoin up until a couple of weeks ago. And it went from nobody using it to millions of people around the world to where there's more podcasts even than we can count. This is the best one, of course, but there's lots of other ones as Duh. well. So, and the people that are pushing the SegWit thing, they intentionally and openly say they want Bitcoin to have high fees. They want Bitcoin transactions to be slow and indeterminate when they're going to be confirmed. That's kryptonite to the adoption of Bitcoin. So we should stay on the same path for Bitcoin that led to its amazing success, bringing it from zero to this you know, worldwide phenomenon that it is today. And Bitcoin Cash still has all of those characteristics. Bitcoin SegWit does not. So if you own Bitcoin on August 1st, you, also, you own Bitcoin SegWit and Bitcoin Cash. Mm-hmm. You own both of those. The Bitcoin.com wallet can help you access both of those mm-hmm. if you haven't done that yet. Number six. Number, number seven's coming soon, don't Excellent. worry. Um, we heard there's another fork coming. And there's probably another fork coming. Is too. that SegWit's so, going to fork again? So you'll have, yes. the fork's going on. Bitcoin right? SegWit's going to fork from Bitcoin SegWit 1 megabyte to Bitcoin SegWit 2 megabyte, and then you'll have Bitcoin Cash. So there'll be three versions of Bitcoin at that point. But so it just keeps, like, those of us that are hodling, we just keep getting... More and more free coins, coins. like bad coins. Yay! Only worth something. <laughs> well, well, we'll see. I think the... The SegWit one megabyte version of Bitcoin will probably be the weakest and have the lowest value of, of the three. Um, that's and that's the guess. one that's nearly four grand right now, or 3,500 or 3,700. Yeah, but all the people that are using that, I, I guess you can think that that one contains both versions at the moment and it's getting ready to, to divide into Bitcoin SegWit one megabyte and Bitcoin SegWit two megabyte. But pretty much all the businesses and the users of that chain have all said that they're going to go in the direction of the Bitcoin SegWit two megabyte, mm. with a f- the exception of a very few loud people on the internet that don't really seem to even use Bitcoin very often, mm. or if at all. Well, and then how long until it's Bitcoin SegWit eight megabyte? Uh, I think the two megabyte people want to see eight megabytes at some point in the future as well. Look, is it going to split again or is it going to add on to it? Time will tell. Good Lord. You travel all over the world. You talk to a lot of people. You kind of get your finger on the pulse of what's happening uh, with governments, right? And, and <laughs> Did I laugh too loud? Sorry. You didn't know. It was, very, <laughs> it was very clear, though. So, you know, one of the, the fears, you know, people say, look, it's decentralized. You can't stop it. And I believe that's true. But as we just observed in China, certain uh, authoritarian governments can certainly put the kibosh 
points for Kabash. On uh, we should like have a little ding in the That's show. That's like the eleventh time Kabash, Kabash is mentioned. Uh, so the U.S. government. What do you think is the likelihood of the U.S. government making cryptocurrency illegal, except for a Fed coin? Close to zero. I think there's lots of politicians that already own Bitcoin and other mm-hmm. cryptocurrencies at this point, and and, and so, constituencies that and lots are large of, donors. Yeah. And, and at the end of the day, I don't think it actually matters all that much because even if Bitcoin were to be made completely illegal in the U.S. and China, let's say it's, let's say it's legal in you know, some other country, everyone in the U.S. and China can look at the Bitcoin exchanges in that other country and see what the price is and continue transacting just like that. So Bitcoin works well for commerce, whether it's you know, $1 a Bitcoin or a million dollars a Bitcoin, you can still send and receive lots of money with it. So it's more fun if the price is going towards a million dollars than towards $1, but it works either way. Especially if you're hodling as mm-hmm. you are. Yeah. I want to ask a question about about how blockchain is disrupting all these different industries. I mean, I, I think we lost count somewhere over 30 different industries that blockchain is now sort of coming in and that technology in the open ledger is creating all this transparency and disrupting these complete industries. What are some of the more interesting uses of blockchain and which industries are you seeing that are being disrupted that have your attention? So because of my background being in studying economics, the, the, the part that's the most interesting to me by far is the monetary aspect. So like Bitcoin's about to disrupt every bank on the planet. You can now have a bank on your phone and send and receive any amount of money with anyone else. And you don't need Bank of America or mm-hmm. Wells Fargo or, or take your pick. Or, yeah. yeah. Bank of America and Wells Fargo, you guys are decent. Uh, bank of the West, I really don't like you guys. Yeah. So. How about, about, like about JP Morgan Chase? Yeah. What do we think of them? Well, I'll tell you a Bank of the West story. So I went to open an account at Bank of the West. And they agreed. They opened an account, and I gave them a hundred dollar bill to open it. And then that was on a Thursday, and I never ever made a single transaction at all. I didn't buy or sell any Bitcoin or anything. I just simply opened the account. And so that was on Thursday. On Monday, I received in the mail a letter saying that they were closing my account. So nice. For, it was open for like forty eight hours. For why? I suspect maybe they Googled me and then realized that maybe I have a little bit too much to do with, with Bitcoin and cryptocurrencies. Wow. But I thought that was pretty poor form of um, Bank of the West part. Bank so. of the West, wank of the best. <laughs> who, who are you watching? Which individuals in the space do you read uh, regularly or keep up with what they're doing? Um, one of the other future things that I think is going to be really interesting are prediction markets in Bitcoin. And so there's a guy named Paul Stork that's uh, the inventor of Bitcoin Hive Mind. That I think he has lots of really, really interesting insights, and I, I enjoy hearing and seeing what he has to say. Mm-hmm. And then uh, when I'm tired of working on Bitcoin.com and, and doing all that all day, when I need a break from that, I like to go on YouTube and watch Bitcoin videos. <laughs> so I'll go on YouTube and watch more stuff about Bitcoin when I'm tired of working on Bitcoin. Excellent. Well, wait do you hear how the show plays back after we do some voice changes on you, throw in some sound effects. Travis, last question to you. Yeah, I, so you, you mentioned about banking and, and different things, and so... You know, what about some of these these banks that are creating their own cryptocurrencies or what about Lumens or what about Ripple? Because, I mean, that you do some transactions in Ripple and it's like, boom, wow, holy cow, it is in my account already. Wow, it's so fast. But it seems like that they're being adopted by more of these banks, but it's also kind of like, damn, there's so many of them and Ripple owns a lot of them, right? So there's not, uh, you know, so what are your thoughts on, on some of those? Because it seems like maybe some of those banks are becoming a little more warmed up to those technologies. So a little interesting piece of history so i was actually the person that put up the seed money to start ripple is that and right that's right and wow. so we did in, not know this. did not know that great question travis this was a yeah, great question this is back in 2012 and the original idea was that uh, bitcoin mining was wasteful so we should make a version of bitcoin that didn't need mining so i'm like yeah that sounds good to me and bitcoin was like i don't know two two dollars three dollars at the time 
And so I put up the money for that, and then now Ripple was born, and I have absolutely no idea what they're up to at the moment. So uh, I know the history of the origin of Ripple, but uh, banks seem to be interested. The price has been zipping up and down, but I, I don't know the details. Well, there's only 80 billion. Is, it's not 80 trillion? 80, 80 billion I'm coins, sure. right, which is 70 billion more than there are bad coin. That's true. So they have that going for them. Yeah, big, large market cap. Roger, thanks so much for joining us on the Bad Crypto Podcast. I know you're jet-lagged. We're going to let you go. <laughs> number uh, eight, I think. Endorsement number eight. Check out Bitcoin.com is uh, one of Roger's many projects. I'm sure that you have little Bitcoin seedlings everywhere. Yeah, that's, uh, that's how it works. Thanks, so. man. Appreciate Hallelujah, it. Hallelujah, Bitcoin Jesus. Thanks again to Roger for the fantastic interview. Great getting to know you and looking forward to uh, seeing what you're going to be up to next, especially as you seek to be a leading voice in starting your own country. Mm -hmm. uh, anyhow, more interviews from Nexus Earth coming your way as well as more great episodes of the Bad Crypto Podcast. Please like share, subscribe, review. If you're enjoying what you're hearing, we can't emphasize enough how any little thing you do to say thank you on one of the sites that you listen to us matters because so many people don't take the time to subscribe to a show, to place a review. And now that we're available in so many different places, it you know the reviews kind of get spread around. So if you listen on iTunes, review us there. Stitcher, there. Google Play, SoundCloud, YouTube. YouTube, Spotify, iHeartRadio, or, or like us on Facebook, LinkedIn, Instagram, Twitter. All of these links are in the show notes. Not only that, not only that, share it with your friends. If you have some friends that you think, hey, they may want to get started in this crypto thing, here's a, here's a hack about our, our, our episodes. Each episode number, you know, the very first one was 001. So if you go to badco.in slash 001, or at this episode right here is episode 28. So this is badco.in forward slash zero two eight. And go ahead and share it on your favorite channels on LinkedIn, on Twitter, on Facebook, etc. And get the word out because, you know, we want to we want to grow, you know, bad cryptopia. And October 1st is the beginning of bad cryptober. More coming on that. But until next time, stay bad. Bad Crypto Podcast is a production of Bad Crypto LLC. The content of the show, the videos, and the website is provided for educational, informational, and entertainment purposes only. It's not intended to be and does not constitute financial, investment, or trading advice of any kind. You shouldn't make any decisions as to finances, investing, trading, or anything else based on this information without undertaking independent due diligence and consultation with a professional financial advisor. Please understand that the trading of bitcoins and and alternative cryptocurrencies have potential risks involved. Anyone wishing to invest in any of the currencies or tokens mentioned on this podcast should first seek their own independent professional financial advisor.